You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. The artist steps back to observe all that he has created to see a completed work for which he is satisfied with. Now imagine that artist, as he sees what he has done, he decides to take that masterpiece and display it in a dark, hidden room where no one will ever see its magnificent beauty. The artwork remains untouched, unseen, unappreciated. It really serves no purpose other than to gather dust. One day a visitor stumbles upon this hidden room. The door cracks open. Light begins to fill the room and it illuminates the neglected masterpiece. Visitor stands in awe, captivated by the beauty, the intricacy before him. He realizes the value of the artwork and the talent and the effort that must have gone into its creation. And in that moment, the visitor knows that the artwork deserves to be shared, to be admired and appreciated by others. He takes it upon himself to carefully move the masterpiece and put it in a place where it can be seen by many. The artwork now fills its purpose, bringing joy and inspiration and awe to all who encounter it. Do you know that you are handcrafted by God? A masterpiece. Some have been hidden away, tucked in the darkness, not fulfilling the purpose for which God has created you for, failing to realize that you have been renewed with reason. Our text this morning parallels this idea. One who has been created in a magnificent matter deemed unholy, unworthy, undeserving, and yet God renewed him. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39 really continue our study, our series, as we see the Word of God and our need to respond to it. In verses 4 to 21, we looked at the need of hearing God's Word. 
verses 22 to 25, we saw the need of believing God's Word. And today I want us to see in verses 26 really to 39, ultimately the need of not rejecting God's Word. And we'll finish next week, 41 to 50, the need for experiencing God's Word. While last week we looked at believing in the Lord and His Word and the need to do that, this week we are going to learn about why we should not reject God's Word. Because you are a masterpiece, because you have been created with a God-sized purpose, there is an absolute need for you and for me to no longer reject what God's Word has said. It's time to shine for the glory of God. Brings us to our text. I want us to look at three points that will help us see how we can better understand God's desire for our lives. Better see our need to illuminate the glory of God through our lives as a church and as individuals. And how we'll do that is first, by acknowledging that we see the authority of Christ. Secondly, we see the rejection of Christ. And thirdly, we see the commission of Christ. Let's begin by first noticing that we see the authority of Christ. Our first observation has been, as we observed last week, as it took place there in the boat, and God Christ, calmed the sea, even the elements obeyed His very voice. He demonstrated His authority. Now the boat sets afloat in the middle of a calm sea. They began to question, if you remember, who is this man that even the, 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 the waters and the winds obey His voice? And when we come to verse 26, we're picking up as they are continuing their travels onto the country of the Gerasene, which is southeast of the Sea of Galilee. At their arrival in verse 27, we encounter a man that is told to be possessed with a demon. And he meets Jesus. It was a man that did not have control of his own body, but rather we find a man that is under the control and empowerment of the devil, controlled by Satan. I can't help but kindly parallel our lives prior to knowing Christ personally in a relationship with Christ. Just like this man, under the influence of sin, the enemy unable to control our lives, constantly being influenced by our sin nature. He was without clothing. The passage tells us that he lived among the tombs or the graveyard. It would be a place that in our day we would expect to see 
ghosts or other demonic things. But this isn't some ghost story or some scary novel. This was a man that was under the control of demons. Now, while Luke holds off on the details at this point, we will see soon enough that he has great abilities under this demon possession. Great powers and authority. And in verse 28, we see the garrison looking and taking sight of Jesus. And he cries out and falls before Him. It's a great picture of complete submission. It's what one would do before the king. They would fall before their face. And so he says with a loud voice in verse 28, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? This possessed man understands who it is that he is speaking to. As he calls him Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. The power and authority that Jesus had was ultimately known by this man. The demons knew him. They are aware of his all-absolute authoritative power. This can be helpful for us as we begin to understand the authority of Christ. What association, what companionship does light have with darkness? What kind of fellowship do unbelievers have with believers? This man is filled with demons. They knew that Jesus and himself had nothing in common but rather there was complete separation and, and no companionship, no fellowship between the two. We can learn a great lesson from this. Matter of fact, we should be asking ourselves the same question of those around us. What business do we have with those around us in dating, in business, in ministry, and sometimes in mutual friendships. Because if we are unequally yoked, my friends, we're going to have problems. We're inviting problems into our lives. If we're trying to get connected with those who are not equally yoked, those that maybe even claim to know Christ, but you know they got nothing but words in their mouths. Their deeds speak so loudly that you cannot hear a word they say. They do not show the fruit of the Spirit. And if you find yourself in that place, my friend, you are headed for trouble. That is a warning to all of us. Old, even young. Don't get caught up in some relationship with someone who is not of Christ. I don't care how beautiful they are. I don't care how much money there may be involved. No, my friends, we're not to be unequally yoked. You can't make that person believe. You can't make their moral standards match that of yours if you were in Christ. 
You should not tempt yourself or any even entertain the idea that it is okay. I like what it says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, which is very clear, when it says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light and darkness? Here we have a demon-possessed man under the authority and control of darkness. And here we have Christ who is light who is perfect, who is God in flesh, and there is no fellowship, there is no koinonia, there is no partnership. King James Version says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. One translation says it this way, probably the surfer's Bible or something. Stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. And here is the here, here is one thing I see in our culture that I believe is, is a real issue. And that is we see what we want and we are willing to step aside for what we know to be true to get what we want for the instant gratification or maybe even the long-term gain. And we sacrifice that which we know God's Word says to be true so that we can satisfy our longings. So we got here a man that sees Jesus in all of His authority. He understands they have nothing to do with each other. He has nothing to do with Christ because God, the devil, have nothing in common. And Christ commands this unclean spirit to come out for it had seized Him which means simply that he had been taken by force or the devil had captivated him. Listen, we live in a real world where the devil is real, his demons are real, and many under under captivity of the enemy. Unbelievers are able to be captivated by demons. And this unbeliever was overtaken by demonic forces of darkness. And he had supernatural powers. Powers that would allow him to break his shackles as he was driven by these demons. And in response to Christ, the demons cry aloud, Jesus asked this man what his name was, and the man tells Jesus that his name was Legion. Now a legion was considered a regiment of soldiers and could be anywhere from a thousand to six thousand. But most of the time a legion was five to six thousand men. This one man found himself under the influence of several thousand demons begging Christ. Here in verse 31, the demons start pleading. I mean, if you could just hear the voice of half of them, it would be 2,500 to 3,000 demons pleading with Christ, imploring, begging not to be cast into the abyss. My friends, that is authority. 
The enemy knows what's coming. He knows the end. He knows that he is doomed and so do his followers. And the desire of the devil and all of his demons are to drag as many down with them as they can. No pun intended there, but certainly relevant for our day. So seeing that there was a herd of swine, they're feeding on the mountains. The evil spirits pleaded again, let us go into the swine. Isn't that interesting? They, they didn't want what they knew was coming. And so they asked the one who has authority to send them to the abyss or into the swine for a different outing. Basically, they're saying prolong the outcome. My friends, listen to me very clearly. For those who are not in Christ, who step over into eternity, this is your same ending. And the demons are aware enough to know that's where they are headed. And my friends, I pray that the Spirit of God would illumine the truth into your minds, into your eyes, and into your ears before it's too late. Because here's the reality, like the demons, you need to know that's where you were headed without Christ. We need to be reminded of that reality. So seeing that there was a herd of swine, they're feeding there on the mountain. The evil spirits pleaded again, let us go into the swines and Christ committed or permitted for them to enter. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me on heaven and in earth. Verse 33 reads, And the demons came out of the man. Not only, listen, do the waves and the wind obey the voice of Christ, so, my friends, demons obey the voice of Christ. They entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. We see the authority of Christ. He has all authority. He is the authority over the physical realm, the sea, the winds, even the miracles that He has performed up until this point. He has authority over satanic realm, the demonic realm. He has authority to make this man well and restore him back into his right mind, into a right relationship with Christ, so that he ultimately can glorify God. And my friends, listen, he has the authority and the power to make you right with God. Now I know I speak to a crowd who most of you who have been born again, but know this, my friend, he still has a authority in your life. And you are crafted, you are well manicured, you are created by God, you are a child of God, and you have stoved yourself up, you have hid yourself in a dark room, and you have hidden the light 
of Christ that's in you and you have shut your mouths and you have said nothing about Jesus. You have not read the Word of God. You have been skipping church. You've been doing this. You've been doing that. At whatever point the reality is, is you ought to know Christ has authority over your life and we ought to submit to Him. Because He changed our lives for His glory. The demons could only beg. They understood the authority of Christ. Have you considered the authority of Christ? Christianity is not a game. It's not just something we profess with our mouth and then live seven, six days a week like the rest of the world. My friends, that will not end well with you because the Bible says he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That, 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 that means there are, there are real life attributes that you, that you permeate as a believer, as a Christian. We can play Christianity. We can post all of the scriptures. But listen to me clearly. God calls you to a life that would honor Him and glorify Him, not just on social media, but in the real world. In the real world where real people live, where real issues are. Not just so you can have a smiling face and a, and a, my life is grand. For God so loved the world. Amen. He did. And he does. But we have to stand up as Christians and understand that Christ has authority, not only over the wind and the waves, that's cool, that's great, that's powerful, that's amazing, not only over the demons, that's great, that's amazing, that's powerful, but over our lives. He has authority. You are not your own. You are a slave, a doulos, and you and I have been bought with the price, and we are not our own, and yet we have to stop living like we are our own. Have you considered the authority of Christ over your lives? When He says don't do this, that's His authority, that's His Word, and then we live like this. No. There's a disconnect. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. No one in this room will be perfect. But that does not give us the freedom to walk in unrighteousness and sin and live habitually the way the world lives. You considered the authority of Christ. He has authority over your sin. He has authority over your addictions. He has authority over your problems. He has authority over your future. He has authority over every aspect of your life. My friends, even your private life. He is all authority. But listen, you must take a step of faith.
Yes, God is sovereign. I get that. He is in absolute control of our lives. But don't miss that the text says that Jesus was what? Met by this man. This man approached the Son of God. And his life was changed forever. If God has given you the desire in your heart, the eyes to see, and the ability to approach Him with His grace and His mercy, my friends, don't hesitate. Let today be the first day in which you can be made right with God. Because here's the reality. We, like the demon-possessed man, have no control over our lives. Prior to Christ, we are, we are drowning in a pool of sin with no ladder to escape. And we must realize that Christ is the only way. And when God saves us and redeems us and sets us free by His authority, my friends, we can be made right with Him. Don't forget that authority. Don't forget the God we worship. We see the authority of Christ, which should ultimately prevent us from rejecting the Word of God, the Word of Christ. But now we are going to see the very thing we hope not to see in our own lives, and that is we see the rejection of Christ. Here we have in verses 34 and 35, we have a witness of what has just taken place. We have the herdsmen that saw the miracle of Jesus. I mean, what greater example do we have the beauty of, of, of this demoniac being cured, being made in his right mind? Listen, if you've never seen someone who has demonic features, who are out of their mind and under the control of Satan and made knew there's nothing more amazing. That is taking place here. I mean, he's naked, running around on the beach, living among the tombs, shut out from the world. And yet he's made right. And when we come... Verse 34, the herdmen saw what had happened and the text says they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The news spread quickly. They run and tell everyone what's happening. And as the people run to see uh, what had happened, they found that this man whom they were probably all very familiar with, you know, the crazy man, the naked man on, on the beach who's out of his mind, who has absolutely crazy power and authority because he's under the control of Satan and over 5,000 demons. They find him well. Demons removed. And he is sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The Greek word used here 
He's healed is the Greek word sozo. It means saved. This man was set free from the bondage of the demons and was made free. He's saved. He's, he's no longer separated from God. No longer an enemy of God. But now, rather, he is a child of God. It's a miracle with a message. Salvation was always priority to the healing ministry of Jesus. I mean, what good would it be if a lame man walked and walked right into hell? I mean, what good would, a, would it be if a blind man could see, but yet blind to the eternal life with Christ, separated in a place called hell? Salvation was the priority of Christ. This man comes to Christ unable, living under the demonic influence, but Christ set this man free. And I think it's appropriate for us to ask, has Christ set you free today? It'd be a real good time to wake up and listen right now. Has Christ set you free from the bondage of your sin? Has Christ set you free from the addictions of your life? Has Christ set you free to obey the things which are right? Because only when you have placed your hope and your faith in Christ are you, my friends, made new. And that is God's desire for your life to be set free, to be made new. It isn't about what you've done, the good you do, the gifts you give, the, the, the service you gave. No, it's about Christ who was crucified on your behalf to set you free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of Satan himself. Have you been set free today? This man didn't do anything to receive this grace. But rather, all he did was fall at the feet of Christ. And my friends, it's all you have to do to be set free. To glorify God with your life. Falling at the feet of Jesus, believing the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And when you are saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, my friends, you will be like this man, truly set free from the bondage of the enemy. Think about that. You were once a slave bound to Satan himself, a child of the enemy. Not everybody's father is God. No, some, Satan is their father. But when you are saved and you're redeemed, the, the shackles of bondage are broken loose and you are free. And there's beauty in that. I mean, I get excited about that because that was once me locked, shackled to the enemy. And yet God, by His pure grace, 
you hear somebody say, oh, you deserve that. No, 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 no. What Stuart deserves is the pure flaming wrath and justice of God. It is a miracle in itself that God has not consumed me. If there's any good in me, it's because Christ. Left to my own sin, I would disappoint every one of you and surely enough Christ. Now we've been set free from the bondage of sin. And it is beautiful. And if you've never been set free, my friends, how devastating. What a tragedy. But even in the midst of this goodness, even in the midst of seeing the miraculous, man being made clean, healed, watching this miracle, the text reminds us that they are afraid. They're gripped with fear. And what happens next is truly shocking. The God of the universe in flesh right before them, saving this man, delivering this man, making this man well, and all they can think of is to ask Jesus to leave, to leave, to get out of here. You say, well, that's pretty aggressive. No, it's not pretty aggressive. It's no different than what we do in our lives. When we shut out God because we don't want to listen to what God has to say. When God says, turn right, we say, no, no, not today. I'm going left. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to make my own decisions. No, God wants us to listen and obey and not to turn Him away. But they do. Someone, somewhere, maybe you are that someone here today that keeps consistently rejecting the King of Kings. As He has knocked on the door of your heart, you turn away from grace. You choose the world. You choose the system of the devil rather than the system of God. You've seen His goodness. You've witnessed His divine ability. You say, I've never seen a miracle. No, you've seen a miracle. The fact that I'm standing in this pulpit is a miracle in itself. And maybe you don't know it, but I do. And the fact that you can be sitting here this morning freed from the bondage of sin is a miracle. There is no greater miracle than salvation. Oh yeah, you want eyes to see. You want limbs to work. You want limbs to be removed. You want to see the signs and wonder. My friends, notice what God is doing in the world in regards to salvation. There is no greater miracle by which we can witness than to see the, the, the power of Satan turn to the power of God and that they can be forgiven by their sins who are set apart by faith in Christ. And all they can think is ask Jesus to leave. 
text says in verse 37, and all the people of the country. And this sounds like a pretty good amount of people, doesn't it? All the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding districts asked him to leave. My friends, know this. When you come to Christ and you are made well and you begin to permeate the fruit of the Spirit in your life among the world, they will ask you to leave. You will find yourself in this culture as a Christian very, very, very lonely. And if you are not okay with being a healed man alone at the feet of Jesus, then you are sadly mistaken. They wanted him gone. For they were gripped with fear. And he got in to a boat and return. There is a healthy fear and there is an ungodly fear. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So obviously this type of fear in which we see happen among the people of the Gerasenes and the surrounding areas have a have a faulty fear because Christ did not give us a spirit of fear. They had rejected the only thing that could have saved them. How devastating. And the text says, he got in the boat and returned. They had rejected Christ. They had turned away the cure for cancer. They had turned away the one whom could have removed their addiction. They, they turned away the one that could have comforted them in their time of need. They sent him away. They failed to be made free like the demon-possessed man. Isn't it like Jesus to come and take the worst of the worst and make him right? Isn't it a great picture of what God has done for you? Oh, wretched man that I am, yet. Christ. And now it looks like the opportunity is gone. This shouldn't have made these men fearful. They should have rejoiced. 
over a man-made right. In fact, Christ was there, the Messiah was there, they should have rejoiced that He healed this poor man. But here's the real deal. Here's the tough, hard truth. Rather than falling at the feet of Jesus and being saved themselves, they reject Christ. Why? Because Jesus is messing with their business. I mean, those swine cost a lot of money. He's a risk. What if somebody else needs to be healed at my expense? They'd been killed when they ran off that cliff. Christ, though, is more concerned with salvation than swine. But reality is, as many people, many times, reject Christ. They don't want to believe Christ. But we are told, believe me that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. God has made Himself real in many of our lives, and in my life, I watched Him do things that I know only God could accomplish, answer prayers that only God had known. And I'm sure you could say the same. Let us not be like these whom reject Christ, but rather be like the demoniac who falls at the feet of Jesus, no matter the cost. What have you given up for Christ? What has taken you away from your first love? Okay, maybe it isn't money. Not everybody struggles with the desire of riches. Maybe it's a desire, a passion, a person, a young man, a young lady. Maybe a sinful, lustful desire. Let us stop pushing Christ to the side, sending Him away, rejecting Christ so our pride can feel good. Rather, we are called to submit to Him. This man was renewed with reason. We see the authority of Christ. We see the rejection of Christ. But lastly, we see the commission of Christ. Verses 38 and 39 read, But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging Him that He might accompany Him. I mean, Amen. I mean, 
If you healed me, I want to hang out with you. If you cast out 5,000 demons, make me right in my mind, clothe me in your righteousness, make me your child, I want to be with you. Can I ask you, do you want to be with Christ? I mean, He saved you. He set you free. He redeemed you. He made you right. He made you His child. Do you, like this man, want to be with Christ? Now let me ask you this way. What in your life proves to yourself that you got what this man's got. Do you desire the things of God? He did. Matter of fact, the text says he begged him. We've become such a cultural Christianity that we can just show up on Sunday and that's enough. Check my little Christian box off and then I can go in the world and I can talk like the like profanity. I can mistreat people. I can use people. I can abuse my wife. I can abuse my husband. I can abuse my children. I can live like the rest of the world, my friends. Let me be very clear. Unless you are like this man and fall at the feet of Jesus and beg Him to be with Him, my friends, I would be very scared that He God, the creator of the world, has done something in my life, has made me his child. He begging him that he might accompany him. But Jesus sent him away. He says in verse 39, I know you want to come with me. Praise the Lord. But you have been hidden among the tombs. You see, you were created for this moment in time. And, and your beauty and your elegance and your, your salvation is now ready to be revealed to the rest of the world so that you who were once dead in your trespass and sins under the bondage of the enemy can now be a light into the darkness. You can glorify me among those who reject me. Return to your house and describe what things God has done for you 
And so he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus has done for him. And I wonder if we are not so willing to go into the world and tell people about what good things God has done for us, then maybe God ain't done nothing for you. Because when you have an encounter with Almighty God and He changes your heart, listen, you can't help yourself but be involved in the work of God. We see that this conversion has changed this man. He has made him something new. He has changed from being a beggar to born again. So much that he pleads with God to allow him to be about his business, to follow him, to accompany him. Jesus says, return to your home and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things God has done. He didn't tell him that he needed to go off to college and get a degree. Well, that may be the very thing you need to do if you want to be a preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ, is to prepare yourself. He didn't tell him he needed to go on an overseas missions trip, which be the very thing God may be calling you to do. But know this, going overseas don't make you a missionary. If you're not willing to serve here and do the things of God here for the body of Christ, Just stay home. Save money. Because we must learn first to minister to the people here before we go there. He didn't ask him, did he, to know every word? He does call you to long for it, to memorize it, to hide it in your heart, to meditate on it. He didn't tell him anything other than to speak what little he did know. And that that he was once bound, but now has been set free. You say, Pastor, I can't go into the world and teach Christ. No, let me, let me encourage you. My friend, understand the doctrine of salvation. You have been set free from the bondage of sin. You are justified. You are declared right even though you aren't right. You are in the sight of God. And you are being sanctified. Sanctified in your family, with your wife, your children, 
sanctified in your preaching, sanctified in your driving down the road on 462, on Saturday and Sunday. You are being sanctified in every area of your life as a Christian. And one day, you will be glorified in all that you need to know is that you have been redeemed by the Lamb. That's what we need to tell the world. What good things God has done for you. And what He has done for me is He has taken someone who was wretched, who was a rebel, who was a sinner, stained, separated at enmity with God. And like Isaiah 59 says, my sins have made a separation between me and my God. Oh, but God seeing, being rich in grace and mercy and love, not that I love God, but that God loved me and sent His Son to the world to die on my behalf, that if I will just simply believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He will set me free, make Him His Son, and promise that one day I will live with Him for eternity. Oh, the goodness of what God has done in all He he calls you is to tell the world what good He has done for you. And if you are truly born again, I suggest you learn the doctrine of salvation. What He has done and how He has set you free so that you might glorify Him. Tell what you know. It starts with the one who testifies, proclaims the good things Christ has done, namely the gospel. This man was under the authority of Christ, remember? He could have sulked. He could have got upset. He could have pouted. He could have got disappointed that the Savior, the Messiah, whom redeemed him, set him free, healed him wouldn't let him accompany him. I mean, he simply obeys. Why? Because Christ commissioned him. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of the commanded to you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is your commission, church. That is our commission to go into the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And He promises, I will be with you always, even till the end. All authority has been given to Christ. And so when Christ says, go, he does what we ought to do, and that is to go. That should perk up our ears. Because that means the greatest person, the most sovereign man is speaking direct instructions into our lives. Go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel.
Christ was leaving this place soon, continuing His ministry into Jerusalem. And Jesus wanted this man to serve right there in His hometown. You might say, they won't listen to me. Listen, they didn't listen to Jesus. You see, this man saw the rejection that Christ received from those in his hometown, but he called him to what? Go back to his home. Evangelism starts within your front door. Among your wife, your spouse, your children. And out from there. Don't expect out there what ain't happening in here. Don't expect your children to turn out godly if you just flounder in the faith. By God's grace, that's very possible. It was for my life. But God has called us to begin evangelism and the gospel in our own house, beginning with ourselves first. And they may not listen, but that's God's problem, my friends. What are we doing to reach the people in our communities? Here in Hampton County, Beaufort County, Jasper County, wherever God has you, because really that's where it starts. No big movement starts there. Every big movement starts here beginning in this heart, in individuals. Don't reject like these men did when Jesus did some great things, but rather hear and believe and accept the Word of God so that we will see next week that we can experience God's Word. You, my friend, are beautifully crafted. And it's time you shine for the world to see. Stop rejecting what God has done for you for the world's sake. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.